Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. A quick note to our lovely listeners that this episode was recorded about a year ago, So there may be some slightly dated references to the COVID-19 pandemic as well as to Fight Like a Warrior's current campaigns, but fear not, the information presented herein is still extremely relevant, and we adore Alexa, and we're so excited to share her story with you. Enjoy. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with the founder of Fight Like a Warrior, Alexa Chronister. She's one of the younger advocates that we've had on the show. She's also the recipient of a WeGo Health Award, which is how we connected. And it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Alexa, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. We've been meaning to do this for a while, and I'm glad we've finally gotten around to doing it. So we wanted to give you a chance to tell your story and also to talk about how you got into advocacy. But let's start at the very, very beginning. Can you tell us when and how you first realized you were sick, what diagnosis you got, and what steps you've been taking to control your health? Yeah, sure. Um, So... I guess my story technically started in childhood, like early childhood. Um, I had just some weird issues going on um, that, you know, we didn't really realize was anything until later. It was kind of just like, oh, that's your body. So I was in a stroller longer than other kids and no one really understood. I couldn't walk, you know, as far distances. Um, I broke things really easily and injured myself really easily. Um, And I was taken to a variety of different doctors and um, I was eventually diagnosed with hypermobility syndrome, which, you know, is semi-common, I guess, in children. So... um, Is it? I always thought that was like the precursor to Ehlers-Danlos. I mean, yes, but um, I guess more <laughs> more common um, than mm. um, like eventually getting to that diagnosis. I right. Don't know. 
Sorry, um, I've totally, I've gotten you to the end of the story before you've yeah. even told it. Go for it. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, so that was kind of just like growing up, you know, I went to physical therapy often, off and on. Um, I wore different braces to help support my joints. I had orthotics. Um, and I kind of just made life adaptions and worked around any issues. It wasn't anything too severe that really altered my life. But when I was going into my senior year of high school, I started to experience more symptoms and different symptoms. Um, So my chronic pain became way more intense and different. um, And I recognized it as such, and it was impeding my life a lot more. Um, And then I also started to develop POTS symptoms, um, which was obviously a little bit alarming and something that I hadn't experienced previously. And initially, you know, like many people, I kind of went through a period of not being diagnosed and misdiagnosis and a lot of different issues. So I kind of started with just an exercise regimen and physical therapy, which, you know, was eventually modified because it wasn't really what fit at that moment, um, but really sort of like heating pads and over-the-counter pain relievers and things like that um, helped me get through. But in the end, I, um, you know, modified those things. I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and I improved with those improved um, treatments and medications to kind of where I am today. Wow. So you were lucky in that you got a diagnosis fairly early on considering, because a lot of people who have symptoms of both of these illnesses don't get diagnoses until they're adults, but it sounds like you got them sort of when you were a young teenager. Yeah. I mean... Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, you know, maybe that would have, from childhood, having that hypermobility syndrome diagnosis that, you know, is kind of, I guess, telling of how long it can take to get a proper EDS diagnosis. Um, But I was also kind of, that was really, really brushed aside um, in my life before that. And sort of when I was on the hunt for, um, you know, what was going on. So it kind of took a lot of self-advocacy. and for my parents to kind of teach me that and, and give me a voice to really get connected to where I needed to be um, and tested for these conditions. And are there specialists in your area that are able to treat you for these conditions as well, particularly for Ehlers-Danlos, which so many people struggle to find someone who actually knows how to treat them? Yeah. So <laughs> Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is really complicated just because it affects so much um, mm. of so many different systems. and. I think most commonly people are kind of just seeing a bunch of different specialists and trying to figure out how to manage that themselves. There's no real person to go to, to, you know, treat that disease as a whole. Um, You know, there are some sort of like clinics I've heard of that um, specialize in that. I haven't um, been treated at one of those, but um, in my immediate area, not really, although there are, you know, some physicians are specialists for different things that, you know, they have treated patients with EDS in the past and they're comfortable treating them or, um, you know, things like that. So that's what I like looked for in my primary care physician. But when I'm really, when I was really looking for that initial, um, big intervention, um, to get my life a little bit back on track, um, I went to Philadelphia, which is not, you know, extremely far from where I live, but definitely not local. 
right? So you had to go to a larger metro area in order to access specialists at the hospital there. I think that it has kind of increased my confidence in terms of like self-advocating can definitely be hard and people fall into the trap of being like, you know, I don't want to be that person or I don't want to be like that difficult patient. (laughs) So I definitely think that it's kind of taught me to brush that aside and, and put myself first while still obviously, you know, respecting the professional that I'm seeing, but those skills are definitely transferable to so many other aspects of life. So yeah, I feel, I feel grateful to have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it certainly makes a difference. And and for me, it's like, I talk to lots of different people and it's the young people like you who I'm always the most impressed by, because I, I feel like there's a level of maturity there that just doesn't exist for your typical 15, 18, 20 year old, you know? Um, so, and having gotten to know you, I think that's certainly true. <laughs> So can you tell us what a typical day looks like for you as you're balancing the demands of work and life while also managing your symptoms as they come up? Yeah. So I guess, especially right now, I don't really have a complete typical day. I actually graduated from college a couple months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. One semester early, which is great. but Awesome then I was left with this semester that was a little bit different. So, Mm. um, you know, not, not necessarily a typical day. Um, especially, you know, I think many people could relate with a chronic illness. There's not necessarily one typical day can always look different and certainly surprise you. Um, but, um, I think that I, one thing that stays consistent is that I make time to prioritize myself and my health. Um, more so now than I did initially. I think that's definitely something that takes a little bit of time to learn and that sometimes you have to learn the hard way um, when your body kind of punishes you a little bit. Um, But, you know, for me, a lot of it is sleep and um, that can be hard, especially in a busy, you know, college life. Um, And making time for exercise is also really um, important to me and my body. But some days you know, I have very few symptoms, which is great. And some days I feel completely unwell and can't really do much. And I kind of adapt around that, but there's so many days in between and I'm really lucky to really be on the (laughs) great minimal symptom days, um, which, or manageable symptom days, which, um, uh, is not how I started and, um, is something I'm thankful for. So it sounds like you were, you've been on a learning curve and you've gotten to a place where, you're managing, but you're okay with being inconsistent if that's the way your body has to be on a certain day, but you've created consistent management tools in order to get your body to this point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, being able to be adaptable, but I think that's Mm -hmm. really important. Like knowing how to manage it and being consistent in that kind of provides that consistency. Yeah. Um, It kind of fluctuates. Totally. So You mentioned, you know, when you were younger, sort of looking for those diagnoses and spending a number of years kind of digging into your your health record and looking for specialists and stuff. I'm wondering whether there were points along the journey where you were confronted and, and forced to justify or validate the fact that you had an invisible illness that no one else could see, <laughs> but that you could feel. Have you had experiences like that? Um, so... I guess luckily I haven't had too many um, adverse experiences like that. I've been lucky to have people around me that 
understand um, and take what I'm saying seriously. But um, especially when I was initially diagnosed, there was a lot of misunderstanding, I think, amongst like family and close friends, just because like it is something that you can't always see. Mine can sometimes be visible, but um, a lot of times they're invisible, which is hard for people to understand. Certainly, I think a lot of people go through that. Um, but for me, kind of justifying that is really just looks like me having an honest conversation and trying to educate those people in my life who who care enough about me to, to listen and want to refine how they go about in the world or, you know, what they think about what I'm going through um, and kind of like what my diagnoses look in my look like in my life. Um, but one thing that is very interesting is that <laughs> the thing that stands out to me is that I am often forced to justify my illnesses when at the doctor, um, which right. is a challenge. Um, one Even of the- now still. Yes, I think wow. mainly in my EDS diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, which has just been weird. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why this happens. It can be sometimes. I think it's because, um, well, sorry. First, I'll tell you what happens. So normally, um, yeah. a doctor will see that that is on my record, or that that you know might relate to a problem that they're seeing me for. And they will ask me to kind of like perform little hypermobility tricks. Nothing that would signal, um, nothing extensive enough to like signal a diagnosis, nothing that they, you know, normally have the credentials to diagnose. Um, So it's kind of odd. Um, But it's like they're questioning all the results on your paperwork and all the diagnoses on your paperwork from the minute you go in. A little bit. I think maybe they're skeptical of that. Or also sometimes what I think happens is, you know, they're nervous because they haven't treated a lot of patients with EDS and they kind of want to say something that um, makes you feel like, oh, you know, this person is knowledgeable and is able to treat me. So especially when meeting someone for the first time, I feel like sometimes that comes out in that way and they don't really mean it to. And I have to remember that, but I've also gotten better at kind of speaking up for myself because it can be a little bit ridiculous. It doesn't really serve a purpose um, and, you know, feels not great to the patient. So um, I try and have those conversations when I can. I think that's really important. I mean, the fact that you're talking about having those conversations, it's an aspect of self-advocacy, isn't it? You know, to be able to be like, okay, like I know you're trying to like test me here, but I know my stuff and I know my body and I know it better than you do, which... Yeah. Super important. And, <laughs> yeah, and you, you're, you know, you're not the physician that is your specialty isn't really in this area. So, you know, trust this renowned physician who has provided this diagnosis um, on paper, who's a geneticist and, you know, let's, let's move on. Yeah. Um, you're yeah. very calm about it. I feel like a lot of people in that position, it's easy to get worked up. It's easy to have a fight about it, but I guess you've been through it enough. You've been doing this for so long. You've been sort of groomed from a young age, right? To have sort of a, a distance from it that you can sort of apply what you know, may, remain calm, not take it personally. For sure. And I've certainly had, you know, my angry moments, my frustrating mm-hmm. moments, you know, um, I'm not going to say that I don't or that it still doesn't happen because it can be the worst feeling, yeah. but um, I think, you know, finding that voice is so powerful and kind of calming that down and feeling like, 
you know, I can get my point across better when I'm coming from that calm, informed, genuine place um, and sort of improve not only my experience, but the experience of the patients they have yet to see, which is really important to me too. Mm, Absolutely. That's a really good point. I never thought about it from the perspective of keeping the doctors calm for everyone else, which is a very good global perspective to have. So what about, I mean, we're talking right now about sort of prejudice, right, that you've experienced. Do you think you've also experienced privilege in the healthcare system, particularly as it regards self-identity? So in other words, because you're a white woman, can you see your circumstances being different if you presented otherwise? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think something that, you know, being a woman in the healthcare system isn't always putting you in the best situation. Nope. We've got plenty of studies to show us that. Yes. Um, I think we're often told, you know, this is in your head or not initially taken seriously. And I'm not immune to that. That happened to Mm -hmm. me and kind of spiraled my misdiagnosis um, period. But I think being in the position that I am and, you know, coming from whatever background I come from in my family. Um, and like I kind of talked about before, just having the ability to have parents who are able to advocate for me, the mm. access to resources and research and the ability to see the physicians that I need to and have access to the treatments that I need to and have um, the insurance coverage that I need to, um, to really like optimize my health and get the best care that I can um, is an incredible privilege that, you know, I don't want to take for granted because it's a major issue in the world, um, in this country. Um, but I also think sort of even getting down to the nitty gritty seemingly of, you know, being able to have a flexible schedule or being able to have transportation to get to appointments is huge. Um, Mm -hmm. so I definitely think that there's privilege in that. And there's so many studies, um, about, race and gender and um, sort of all of those factors within um, healthcare. So certainly ups and downs, but in general, I feel uh, that I've been privileged in the healthcare system to, to get the care that I have. Yeah. Well, and you also address some of this on your platform, which we're going to get to shortly. Before we do, I, I want to ask, given what you've experienced and what you've seen from others around you, in what ways are you seeing the health system working for patients? And in what ways do you see it requiring improvement and maybe like falling short? Aside from these issues of privilege that include race and gender, you know, where is it working? Where isn't it working? Yeah, um, I definitely think that, um, you know, sometimes we complain a lot, especially in this space. And there are, you know, good things about the system to recognize. I definitely think with the internet and the fact that it's more widely available is awesome in terms of electronic medical records and different doctors being able to see your records from other places and you as a patient being able to have access to that and really feel empowered to know what's going on in your body and take control over that and um, be able to use the internet to seek out resources and research and really learn um, about your condition, uh, which is great. And even Mm. down to online portals, being able to have that ease of communication with doctors and Mm. uh, easily be able to refill a prescription. Um, Yeah. There's tons of amazing physicians within our system, um, which is awesome (laughs) and uh, provide great care to a ton of people. And we certainly invest a lot of money into our healthcare system, which Mm. um, the 
benefits to investment ratio could certainly be debated. Um, But there's no doubt that there's been a lot of great innovation um, and achievement that has come from that, which is great. Um, Mm. There's uh, (laughs) drawbacks to the system as well. Um, I definitely think that you know, I talked about my privilege in sort of access. And I think that's a huge issue. Access and affordability um, to great care is, you know, a problem and everyone should be able to take care of themselves um, and treat their health in the best way possible, um, Mm -hmm. which isn't always the case. Um, And as much as the internet kind of provides a way for patients to be empowered and take control of their health, we don't always necessarily provide patients with the resources that they need to self-advocate or to truly understand um, their condition, their body. Very true. Um, yeah. Often and you're handed a pamphlet, but how much does that actually tell you about or academic and they're not, you know, meant for really public consumption or there's misinformation online. So it can be really tricky to navigate as much as the internet has really empowered um, patients to take control of their health. Um, But also kind Mm -hmm. of in a chronic illness type of vein, um, the system isn't (laughs) necessarily designed for complex chronic patients. um, And it can definitely be a struggle to kind of, you know, like I was talking about with EDS, kind of having all those specialists and being like the one person who's kind of managing that for yourself is definitely um, a challenge. Mm. Um, Is that something that you hope for the future of at least EDS care or for patients who are dealing with complex chronic illness, as you say, would the future be to centralize that care and, and create sort of care centers where you didn't have to go to your PT here and your you know, your cardiologist there, but that they'd all be in one place based around a person's general diagnosis? I mean, certainly. I don't know exactly what that would look like, but I think being able to treat patients holistically and really Mm. looking at the entire person and all different aspects of their health is so important and communication between those specialists is so important. Mm. Um, So I would definitely hope that we could continue to make strides in that area for the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one way to begin to move forward. And I I do know that there are organizations like the Ehlers Danlos Society that are trying to do that, particularly with regard to standardizing diagnosis structure, right? And um, as well as treatment structure. So it's exciting that things like that are happening. Um, but it is still a long road ahead because I know EDS in particular is so complex. There's so little we know about it. There's not enough funding for research. So in some sense, a lot of that money that you're talking about that goes into our healthcare maybe needs to go into the research as well as the actual care itself, huh? For sure. Research is so important, and especially mm-hmm. with EDS and POTS and so many other chronic illnesses, it's it can be hard to navigate or care for yourself because there's just not enough out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because of that, too, there's a lot of physicians who have never even heard of these things or know very little, which makes it hard for them to treat you effectively or if they're treating you for something that's seemingly unrelated that it's harder for them to kind of catch something that may actually be related. Mm. So, you know, one of the issues that you were talking about in terms of access to like I also wonder about this whole thing in terms of knowing that like some of the better specialists are going to be in urban areas or metro areas, you know, that the availability of specialists, perhaps if we encourage more doctors to train in, in certain specialties that are underserved in more rural communities, would also increase access to people who are living in those communities, right? 
Yeah, for sure. And not everybody can afford to travel um, to, you know, receive the best care possible, which is, of course, another challenge, let alone, you know, affording the actual care itself. It can be um, a lot to travel um, to get that care. You know, some people travel just a short distance, like me, I probably travel about an hour. Um, But some people travel multiple hours or staying overnight or staying at hotels, which really complicates things. Absolutely. So let's talk about Fight Like a Warrior. Can you tell us how your advocacy platform was born and about the work that you guys are doing currently? Yeah, for sure. So when I was going through that period of um, not being diagnosed and misdiagnosis and sort of struggling with that, I turned to the internet to kind of see, you know, what's going on with my body. Um, But I also went to social media and I found, you know, the chronic illness community there, which is seemingly hidden from the rest of the world. I never really um, tapped into that um, until I really went looking for it. Um, But I was so glad that I found that community um, and connecting with those individuals was so powerful and being able to feel like I wasn't alone. And after I got my diagnoses, I mean, I don't know anybody or I didn't know anybody in my personal life that had EDS or that had POTS. And through Mm. this community, I feel a part of something so much greater. I feel completely less isolated. Mm. Um, As if, you know, there's so many other people either fighting similar battles or the same um, or fighting against the same condition. But um, anyways, so that kind of inspired me. Um, to create um, a program that we still have today called Cards for Warriors. Mm. Um, So it really started out with just me and a few volunteers who were people that I had met through this online community who wanted to help. And we made handmade cards and, you know, sent them to... How old were you when you did this, by the way? Like, how many years ago was this? Um, I think it was 18. It was 18. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So anyway. um, Yes. You started making cards. Yeah. We started making cards together and sending them to fellow warriors. Probably in the beginning, it was, you know, a bunch of people that we knew or were connected with, but it really started to grow um, where people were nominating people for cards, whether they were friends or family members or parents, which was also kind of an unintended consequence almost of the project. Um, But something I think is really important because sometimes we don't know what to do when someone is sick in our lives and we don't necessarily know Mm. what to say, but the way to kind of send someone a card from someone that you know kind of gets it is really awesome. And I think that um, both parties, both the people nominating um, the warrior and the warrior themselves really appreciate that. Um, And to receive a card from somebody who is also, you know, fighting a health challenge themselves is really genuine. And I think means a lot and is something physical that um, is going to them and provides a lot of hope. So that was great. Today, um, the project still continues. We have sent, I think, almost a thousand cards, which is really amazing. Awesome. And you yeah. just sort of started this from your bedroom kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> yep. Um, completely. So it really turned, you know, into something I never imagined um, and a really incredible, rewarding project. And we've sent the cards all over the world, which is also um, incredible. And I saw 
the positive impact that that was having and how much that really meant to people. Um, people sent back pictures of them with their cards or, you know, messages saying how much it meant to them. And that really made a big impact on me. And I wanted to kind of expand that and do something more. And I thought more about my own experience and, at this point, I was kind of had my diagnoses was beginning to be on that path of like navigating that, but also finding my new normal um, and thinking about, you know, what would have I what would I have wanted to have um, mm. in place when I was sort of going through those initial challenges. Um, and from that arose Fight Like a Warrior. Mm would not have been possible without all the incredible volunteers that worked on our Cards for Warriors project. Um, And one of the first people that I met um, on the community was Sarah Cohen, Mm. who is incredible. And she has been with Cards since the very beginning. We actually don't live too far from each other. So we've gotten to see each other and hang out. um, So you met through the Cards, like you didn't know each other before then. Yes. Yeah. Just amazing. It's created a a network for you. Yes. Yes. She, I met her like through the online community and she Mm. like really joined cards with me and helped make it possible, which is awesome. Um, And now today she's still with Fight Like a Warrior. She's followed it the full way through and been a complete backbone to everything. Um, But anyways, so it expanded to Fight Like a Warrior where we continue Cards for Warriors, but we really expanded our mission. So we're looking to unite people as we kind of did before, but putting more um, emphasis on that, empower people and talk about self-advocacy and, you know, believing yourself and trusting yourself and also advocacy, you know, self-advocacy, but also kind of working on different awareness and advocacy campaigns to improve the lives of warriors today um, and the ones yet to come. And we also want to serve as a place for um, sort of all the stakeholders in this um, Mm. realm to be able to talk and engage with one another um, because we all have the same goal. So whether you're a caretaker, you're fighting an illness yourself, you are a health professional, or you're just someone who's passionate about people people's health and people receiving um, the best care that they can, you know, this is a place for you to engage and get involved with what we're doing. Um, And we really want to be a platform where people can um, speak and we want to elevate people's voices. And we do that through a blog and through our social platforms, which is, you know, one of the best ways that we connect with everyone. Um, And yeah. That's a little bit about what we do. Yeah, and it's amazing. And you're continually, as you say, creating new advocacy projects and avenues. I mean, I know right now you're working on the We Are the Vulnerable campaign um, with the founders of that, which has arisen during this coronavirus crisis. And, um, you know, constantly reaching out hands and partnering with organizations that are also bringing awareness. And that's so important. And what I think is super cool about what you guys are doing is that you're by young people for young people. And while it includes the wider chronic illness community, it is that group of patients that you mentioned earlier, those sort of post-pediatric pre-adult care patients who get sort of forgotten and, and sort of brushed over in the medical system. Um, and you're speaking so directly to so many of them. And I think that's very powerful because these are also the people who have influence on social media. So you're using it for good and it's very, very exciting. 
for sure. Thank you. Yeah, I also want to give kudos to Jalen. Um, podcast a little while ago yes mm. because she has done so much with the we're the vulnerable campaign which is soon to launch which we're very excited about and has just been incredible and completely you know changed our advocacy efforts and our awareness campaigns and um really She's been awesome for all the work that we've been doing yeah we love her awesome. so um tell us also about the Wego health award that you won Yes. Um, so the WeGo Health Awards were super um, exciting. We won Best in Show Community, which was mm-hmm. really fitting, I think, for yeah. um, what we set out to do. And we're constantly, you know, trying to create that sense of community online and be a place for everyone to to come to and feel a part of, and not have to feel isolated and. Um, feel a part of something, um, which is awesome. So that was an incredible experience and being able to go to the WeGo Health Awards and meet everyone, including Mm -hmm. you and all the other incredible advocates was just an amazing, amazing experience. um, I will never forget. Um, And it was awesome to really get into WeGo Health a little bit more and all the awesome work that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's what connects us all too, which is really cool. So as we sort of slide into the tail end of this interview, I like to ask a couple of top three lists of my guests. And to start things off, I was wondering if you could give us your top three tips for someone who maybe already has a diagnosis, maybe they're waiting for diagnosis and something funky's going on. People who are in this world living with invisible chronic conditions, what do you recommend for our fellow Spoonies? Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely think listening to your body is Mm. important um, and something that I took a little bit of time to learn and is especially important when you're kind of trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Mm. I think um, kind of tracking your symptoms or writing in a journal um, and just kind of getting more in touch with what your body's going through and noticing different patterns can be super helpful um, and really powerful in arming you with kind of the knowledge to be an expert on your body um, for when you for when you eventually go to a doctor um, and try and figure out what's going on, which can also help you kind of get there a little bit faster. Um, but also kind of tying into that and something that we've obviously talked about throughout this conversation is self-advocacy, not being afraid to be, you know, your own best advocate, not being afraid to be that person or that challenging patient. Um, and respecting and listening to your physician um, and all of the amazing things that they have to say, but not being afraid to do your own research or question something because that only shows that you're engaged and that you care about your own outcome and your health, which um, is super important. Mm. Um, And And if they don't work with you, move on to the next one, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Not being afraid (laughs) to seek a second opinion, a third opinion, you know, not giving up on yourself um, mm-hmm. and continuing to be that advocate for yourself. Because if if you're not for yourself, you know, who's going to be? So I think that that's super important. Um, and kind of going along with that, you definitely can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure to surround yourself with supportive people who um, believe you and care for you and want the best for you. Um, and are just really, really genuine. It's can be a challenging time when you're going through that period of trying to figure out what's going on and certainly navigating life with chronic illness and, um, 
even how to manage that transition or those life adaptations can be super, super overwhelming, um, to say the least. So definitely kind of cutting out (laughs) or letting go of those people who really aren't the best for Mm. your life at that time, um, or just putting some distance there and really making time and making your inner circle full of people who really care for you. Mm, I think that's really good advice. So the next top three list is top three things that give you, Alexa, unbridled joy that you're not willing to compromise on your on in your life, despite these potential lifestyle changes that you've mentioned. So this could be like top three guilty pleasures, secret indulgences. It could be comfort activities when you're in the middle of a flare. What are the three things that you turn to for joy? Yeah, sure. So I think, especially during a flare, one of the best things is binge watching. I think a lot of (laughs) Spoonies could relate to that. Um, Love some Netflix, of course. Um, (laughs) I love watching The Office and Parks and Rec. I love watching kind of light, funny shows that kind of take Mm -hmm. my mind off of, you know, whatever's going on, which is awesome. And I've also rewatched them. So (laughs) same. (laughs) Those are the two I keep going back to. (laughs) Me too. too. They're very Highly recommend. So mm. just, you know, rewatching those or watching mm. like your favorite movie is always the best. I love that. Um, and for me too, I also really like to be creative. I'm not mm. traditionally like super talented in terms of like art, but um, even Fight Like a Warrior kind of provides an outlet for me to do some sort of creativity, whether it's like graphic design or like social content. Um, but I also like to kind of do DIY things or... Mm just kind of be crafty in some way. Um, Making time for that is so important to me. Mm. Um, And finally, I think friends and family, making time for connection. I think connection's so important and really so meaningful in life Mm. um, and not something that I'm willing to sacrifice or compromise on. And if I am unable to make that um, time in person using like FaceTime or video chat or some other sort of tool, social media to stay in touch with people um, is super important because you can't go out it alone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, can you tell our listeners where they can find Fight Like a Warrior and Cards for Warriors and, and follow along and read all about everything on the blog? Yeah, for sure. So our website is just fightlikeawarrior.org. Um, And you'll find sort of all of the content that we offer there, um, as well as link to um, where you can find us on all different social media platforms. We're most active on Instagram, where we're just at Fight Like a Warrior. Mm -hmm. And you can find Cards for Warriors on Instagram as well, at Cards for Warriors. So super easy. Um, And then on Facebook, we are at Fight Like a Warrior Project. And on Twitter, we recently created a Twitter, which is super awesome. So check us out there. We are flaw, so F L A W warrior mm. off the W's, like A <laughs> um, org. So check us out. Um, mm. But you can also find everything on our website. So TikTok's next, then. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And and what is the future of Fight Like a Warrior? It's continuing to do these these advocacy projects and bring awareness to, to different disease groups and share stories? Yeah, we definitely want to kind of continue to expand, reach more people, really serve as a place to elevate people's voices while continuing these advocacy and awareness projects and doing um, 
doing the projects and initiatives that really matter to our audience mm-hmm. and also kind of continuing to bring um, those outside seemingly outside, not outside people in like healthcare professionals um, and caretakers and really make them part of the conversation, um, Mm -hmm. which they should be. Um, And yeah, we really, we have, you know, some exciting ideas in the works to kind of continue to fulfill our mission that we're excited about um, and continuing to just build our community. So you've graduated college and you're straight into a nonprofit running your nonprofit, like this is your full-time job now, huh? Um, kind of. Yeah. I, um, I'm still hoping to actually go to law school. Yeah. I want to focus um, in health policy yeah. um, after graduation. Um, but I think I'm taking a year off. So mm. we'll see. But yeah, very excited. I'm super excited for the future of, of Fight Like Warrior and Cards, Le- Cards for Warriors. It's super, super exciting. Great to talk with you today. And yeah, you too. You And thank you so much for being the most patient with me. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show and we look forward to seeing what's next. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.